So I want to ask you several phrases, and then I want you to tell me what all of these phrases have in common. I want you to just think. So as I say words like successful, up-and-coming, career, beautiful, business owner, sports car owner, maybe here in Texas, really nice truck owner, health conscious, creative, athletic, wife, mother, wealthy, poor. What do you think they have in common? Identity. Every one of these are examples of ways that we define who we are. We look in the mirror and we ask ourselves, what gives you value and what gives you purpose? And when we look in the mirror and then we look to these other things, and I can mention many more, but I think you get the point. We try to define who we are, define our identity based upon these external things, things that quite honestly can change. And so your career, if you have a very successful career that affords you the affluent lifestyle and the 401k and the security and and the respect, and so then you form your identity based upon your career and your income, and then the economy changes or or you just lose your job or your business tanks, whatever happens, now you've lost your identity. You've lost your hope. You've lost your purpose. Or that mother who has built her whole life and identity on on being a, a mother and being a wife, and that works until your kids go off to college. And then all of a sudden, your grown children no longer need you anymore. And all of a sudden, you're left with this gaping hole, and you're asking, well, who am I? What is my purpose? What is What is my identity? Where does my value come from? And so this is so foundational for believers. Because when we're talking about our identity, think of it this way. It's what you turn to to give your soul rest. Because all of us need it. I mean, this is just a restless world that we live in. And so all of us go to something. We go somewhere in order to have a sense of rest. And oftentimes that, that where you're going is tied to your identity, who you define you are. It's where you turn to for healing. It's where you turn to for comfort and joy. I want to read to you a brief excerpt from Romans chapter 8. Not the whole chapter, but you could. It's an amazing chapter. And I'm going to highlight where Paul says we are, of who we are. So Romans 8 says, verse 1, so there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he says, the Spirit himself bears witness that with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, and then we are saints according to the will of God. We are called according to 
his purpose. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And about his love, he says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else, and all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is who we are. It defines us. So this gospel, Jesus himself, through his work on the cross, his resurrection, and victory over the grave, what it does is it gives us a renewed identity. We are made new. We're new creations with new purpose and hope and his spirit in us. And so now we live out this identity of who we are in Christ. We are children. We are saints. We are called. We are more than conquerors. This defines us. This is who we are. And we are eternally loved. From eternity past, God knew you. Before you were even conceived, millennia ago, God knew you and he loved you. And if you look into eternity future, we we can't see it, but God can. Eternity future, you will be loved. And nothing can separate you from that love of God in Christ. And this is the truth that fuels us to continue to follow Jesus. And so this morning, as we consider more of our identity and living out our purpose, I'm praying that we will surrender. We will yield to our God and surrender our desires to define ourselves according to our own ideas, but that we would surrender and define who we are to God's purpose. Let me read to you Psalm 67. This is our text for this morning. It is a powerful text that God has used powerfully in my life. You heard earlier in the testimonies, Um, people from our church mentioning that God's given me a missional heart. This is one text that has really shaped my heart for the mission. Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase, God. Our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Amen. This profound text describes who God is and what God is about. And then it shows how our existence as an act of worship is a response. And we'll look at that next week and how we are made to worship. And so our identity is worshipers. And so what we see here is who God is and what he is about. And so then in relation to God, we respond, we reflect his glory in defining now who we are and what we should be about. That's what you see here in Psalm 67. 
And we see that we have a missional calling. But, but this text shows us that we have more. Hear me. We have a missional calling. But we have more than a missional calling. We have a missional identity. We have a missional purpose. We are missionaries. A missionary is not just a person that goes to a different country to share the gospel. A missionary is someone that has been entrusted the mission of God. And so that is everyone who trusts in Jesus. We are missionaries and we serve the world. So the main idea from Psalm 67, if you're taking notes, is that God blesses his people so that we will spread his blessing to the nations. That's what the That's what this is about. So God blesses his people, Renewal Church, you and me. God blesses his people so that, for a purpose, so that we will be a blessing. Share, extend that blessing to all nations. So let's unpack this main idea. Three steps. The first one, God blesses his people. That's the starting point. You see it in verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Now, whenever you're reading Psalms, know that you're reading poetry. So whenever you're reading in the Bible and you're trying to understand the meaning, and by the way, we should. We should try to not just read it but understand what it means. And one key is called parallelism. So in the Psalms, with almost no exception, you will see two lines. And then the first line is giving some truth, revealing about who God is. And then the next line either restates the first line or it elaborates on the first line. So it's parallel truth, so parallelism. And so what you see here in verse 1, it begins with saying, may God be gracious to us and bless us. So the truth is that God is gracious and he blesses his people. Second line, parallel truth is, and make his face to shine upon us. And so having God's face shine on you is him blessing you. And so you see parallel truth. And so it's this is good for me or for any of us that are kind of slow. Where you read the first line and you kind of miss it, that's okay. He'll repeat it. Second line, he'll say it again in a different way, but the same truth so that you get the whole point of that verse and of the psalm. Now, another key to understanding poetry is bookends. So psalms, usually the first part of the psalm, in this case, verse 1, and then the end of the psalm, bookends. It's the same theme, the same truth in the beginning as in the ending of the psalm. And this is true in almost all psalms. Read the first and then read the end of the psalm, and you'll find that it is the same theme. This is just how God has helped us understand his word, knowing some of these keys of how to find the meaning, how to interpret Scripture correctly. And so if we, if we employ this helpful tool of how to interpret the Bible of looking for bookends in Psalms, let's go to the end of the Psalm, verses 6 and 7. The earth shall yield its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. Sound familiar? So God shall bless us. God shall bless 
us, let all the ends of the earth fear him. So beginning and end of the psalm have the exact same theme, a bookend that helps us to understand the point of what God is saying in this text. What he's revealing is that he is a God of grace. He's a God who is moved to bless. And you, you see this here again. He blesses us at the end of the psalm. When I think of the glory of God, what helps me sometimes is mental pictures. And, and I like to think of the glory of God as being a vast, like a limitless mountain range. If you've ever been to the mountains, and I've been blessed to see both the Rockies and the Appalachian, and, and when you go and you see these and you stand there or driving on the road and, and you look and you're just in awe of how majestic this mountain range is as far as your eye can see. So I want you to picture that is the glory of God where each, each mountain represents one of his infinite perfections. And so one of these would be he is faithful. One of these is he is just. He is good. He is wise. He is unchanging So all of these mountains represent one of his infinite perfections, his glory. And yet when you look at this infinite, glorious, majestic mountain range that you stand before and you're just in awe, there's one that's the highest peak, the summit, the pinnacle of all of these mountain peaks of God's glory. And that one that stands the highest is grace. God's grace is the apex of his glory. It is the highest point because what you see is human beings made in the image of God, made by God and for God. We exist to enjoy God. And when we do, then we are worshiping. We are glorifying him. And because of our sin, we run from God. We reject his love. We turn to idols. We turn to other lovers. We, we are the spiritual idolaters and adulterers. And yet God in his grace is moved to reach down from heaven, come to this dirty place, become a human being, live a perfect life, die on the cross, be beaten and spit at and ridiculed, and on the cross cry out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then die for you and me, and then the third day, raise victoriously, defeating all of hell and death itself. And taking our sin and our shame and defeating it and coming out of that grave victorious and glorious as he is. And then offering you and me forgiveness. Who are we? Who are we that we can receive the mercy of God? God is so glorious. And the absolute pinnacle of him revealing his glory is him dying 
on the cross for you and me. Redemption. His grace reveals his glory like nothing else does. And you see it here. He is gracious in verse 1. And he blesses us. But if you look at verse 6, it's very important. This blessing is not just eternity. It's not just going to heaven. He says, the earth yielding its increase. You know what that means? It means a good harvest. It means that the crops were successful. It means that you got your direct deposit on time. You can pay all your bills and drive to H-E-B, and there's groceries stocked, and you can pick whatever you want, and then you can go home and eat it and praise God for it. It means that he has provided for you. It means he's given you what you need. And I don't know how you define poverty or wealth, because honestly, they're so relative. If you talk to someone that literally makes millions, they'll say, well, I'm not rich. I'm not rich because I'm not, I'm not Donald Trump. I'm not a celebrity. You know, I, I, I'm, that's, that's rich. I'm just normal. And then you talk to someone that makes $50,000, and they're like, no, I am I'm poor. Well, a person that makes $10,000 on minimum wage says, no, I'm poor. Well, go to India. You want to see poverty? I've been there many times. Go to the labor camps of the UAE. I've been there many times. There are places you can go to in this world that you can see real poverty. I mean, I'm talking no running water. You see ladies carrying these, it's very impressive, huge jugs on their head. How they don't go to the chiropractor? Like, I'd be having to go to the chiropractor every other day, having to do that, but they do it. They're amazing. Huge jugs of water, going down to the river and pulling up water manually and just looking at the water, making me kind of want to throw up, and that is their drinking water. This is not millions, billions billions of people in this world. Over a billion of them are just right there in India, and it's not just in India. There is real poverty, and the thing is, in America, we have no idea the difference between needs and wants. It's so convoluted for us. But what we need to understand is that we have been blessed more than we can ever begin to count. But God has not blessed you and me so that we can show up on a Sunday morning and sit in a comfortable, comfortable-ish seat in the AC. He did not save us and come and just sit in church services and feel like we're doing God a favor because we showed up. That's not the point. God has blessed us so that we can spread his blessing to the nations. He's given you your salvation. He's given you forgiveness. He has given 
you, your job and your income and your family and your health and your intelligence and everything that he's given to you is for a purpose. This is so important for us to understand that we've been blessed. Understanding the measure that we've been blessed is so key because here's what's going to happen to you. If not today, it's going to happen soon because we live in a fallen world. When the storms of life are raging, you have to drop your anchor in this God of grace. When darkness and evil are assaulting you, you have to drop your anchor in the God of grace. You have to run to the strong tower of the grace of God. When depression and anxiety are over you and threaten to engulf and overtake you, you run to the shelter of the grace of God. He is our hope. Circumstances, focusing on circumstances is despair. Focusing on the character of God who is the God of blessing and a God of grace that is hope. We draw near to the throne of grace and receive mercy and find grace. So the character of God, knowing who he is and who we are in relation to him as the recipients of his blessing changes everything. So back to the main idea. God blesses his people so that, those two words are so important, God blesses us so that. So he lavishes his grace on us for a purpose. Now, this is hard for us. It's hard for me at times, but to keep our focus on Jesus. It's so easy to think that God loves me and that I am the actual focus of his love. But that's actually not true. God loves you so that. You're not the end. I'm not the end. I'm not the goal. So God loves you and God loves me so that there is another purpose. There's a greater end and we are not the end. Read verses 2 and then 3 through 5 all over again. So he says that he's gracious. That's verse 1. He says that so that... Your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. So he loves us, he blesses us, he shows us mercy, he gives us finances and health, he blesses us so that God's way may be known on earth. And his saving power among all nations. He has blessed you so that, verse 3, The peoples praise you, O God, and all the peoples praise you. God loves you and blesses you so that the nations will be glad and sing for joy. Verse 4 is amazing. This is the purpose of God, that the nations be glad and sing for joy. That is what God is after. God blesses us so that people across the world will recognize his glory and be in awe and be so blown away and see how amazing Jesus is that they will fall down in adoration, 
humbly just worshiping Jesus who is worthy of our worship. This is why he has saved us. This is why he gives us blessings so that people all across the earth will know his saving power among the nations. So what is God after? What does God want? What is God's goal? His aim is that the nations be glad and sing for joy. Why do we sing on Sunday mornings? Because we like music? And we do like music, but we sing because it's an expression of worship. And verse 4 is a command. It's actually not even an option. It says, nations sing for joy. He's giving us this command. Find your joy in me. Come enjoy me. Stop enjoying your idols that are worthless and leave you hungry and addicted and in darkness and broken and devastated. Stop enough with the spiritual suicide. Come, come, come enjoy me. Come find your purpose and hope and love. Sing for joy. Why? Because we have Jesus. That's why we sing. Due to our own sin, we run away from the light. But praise be to God who doesn't give up on us and pursues us and brings us back into the light, into his presence, into his joy. This is what God is after. People from all nations worshiping him. So we have received mercy for the mission. You have been saved to serve. This is why you exist. He has made you and blessed you so that you can share his love with others. This is our identity. We are missionaries. So God blesses his people so that we will spread his blessing to the nations. Verse 1 begins with God blessing. Verse 2 continues with saying, so that his ways will be known across all. All nations. And then listen to the verses. Verses 2 through 5. He says, so that your ways, it says, known among the nations. Verse 3. The peoples praise you. Verse 3 again. Let all peoples praise you. Verse 4. Let the nations be glad. You judge all peoples with equity. Guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Verse 5. Let the peoples praise you. And then verse 7. The ends of the earth shall fear him. Do you hear a theme? I'm not making this up. This is in the Bible. This is what God has revealed. His purpose has always been and always will be to rescue 
people from all nations that are far from God and bring them into his people to experience his joy so that they can then be sent back out to bring more people in because the end goal is a multitude that no one can number of all nations, of all languages, worshiping Jesus. He blesses his people so that we will share that blessing with the nations. What is the blessing that we share? Let's be very specific here. What is this blessing that we share? You know what it is? God himself, Jesus. What else would you give someone? To give them clean water, that is great, and we will do those things so that we can have an opening to do what? Give them the living water. You go and you help those that are starving and give them bread so that you can then give them the bread of life. And so we meet needs so that, I love those words, so that we can then give them Jesus, which is what all of us need. We're made by him and for him. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Let all the peoples praise you. We were made for this, made to enjoy God, and so we have this renewed identity. So we reach out to people that are far from God so they can come join us in reaching up to God in worship. This is who we are. We're missionaries. It's not optional. It's a command. It's joy, it's hope, it's purpose. You heard our associate pastor, Colton White, earlier in the gathering. We're talking about global missions and how we yearn to be a church that is missional locally and globally. And so our vision is that we're praying that even a year from the next summer that we are sending short-term missionaries to go to partners that we've established over the next year that we can send renewal and be agents of his renewal across this planet. And we're praying that we will have young adults that will commit to midterm missions, which is two to three years. Like you heard him talk about GoCore and, and mobilizing young adults to go for midterm. So again, about a two-year commitment. And we're praying that we will see from this faith family people called to go long-term, which is five or more years. And we want to to be mobilizers that make that happen. So our vision, so the renewal vision is that we want to spread God's renewal to Bell County and the world. We want to spread his renewal, starting here, but to the ends of the earth. This has been said many times, it's not my quote, but it's a great quote. A church should not be measured by its seating capacity. Rather, a church should be measured by its sending capacity. So if our vision is how many more of these off-white seats can we stack in the North Billington Middle School cafetorium, then we can maybe double our current size, which quite honestly is... Just a starting point. We're just getting started. We want to be a church that is multiplying, 
that has multiple locations, that is planting churches across not just Bell County, but across this planet to those that are unreached, as you heard earlier, billions of people that are unreached and have no access to the gospel. That is what we're after, a church that is multiplying, not adding. Plant churches that then plant churches that then plant churches. This is what our vision is. At our core, we are missionaries. And so we're called to live this out together. I love how the, how the gospel calls us to be local and global. I think it's funny, though, when we think about this, because Jesus talked about go to the ends of the earth, and even Psalm 67 describes the whole earth, the nations, all peoples, and yet we think that missions, you have to get on a plane and you have to go to a whole different country or different time zone. But if you think about it, when Jesus says the ends of the earth, is Texas not the ends of the earth? Where do you think we live? We live in the ends of the earth. We're here now. And so when we go to the Middle East, we're going back to where this whole thing started. And so right here, right now, we're called to be missionaries in Bell County. This includes the earth. Last I checked, we're on the earth. Therefore, the gospel ought to be, needs to be proclaimed right here, right now. Now, I know what happens. I get it. I understand. You're like, yeah, but we live in Central Texas. Everyone's a Christian. Um, I, I mean, I could argue with you, but I'm going to give you an actual verifiable source to show you how that's not true. If you go to Barna.com, if you're not familiar with it, Barna Group, it's a Christian organization, and they do world-class research. Over 30 years, so a lot of experience, and they have amazing research. And so if you're curious, just go to Barna.com. And they released just two weeks ago a a report that it takes them many, many months to put together where they have polls across the country in every single city and small town in the whole country. And they ask some basic questions like, Do you believe in Jesus? Are you an atheist? Have you read your Bible in the last year? Have you been to a worship service in a church in the last year? And so it's not just like in a census where you go and just check a box and say, yes, I'm, quote, Christian. No, no, this is is getting to the root of how do people actually live their lives? Is it actually identifiably following Jesus or not? And And you may be surprised, but maybe you're not. But Temple made the top 100. Temple, Texas, is number 51 most unreached in the United States of America. Surprising? I'm not. You know know why I'm not surprised? Because I live here. And I have my eyes open. And we have gone more than once, and, and we have covered more, more than one community, neighborhood, and knocked on thousands of doors right here in Temple, Texas, knocked on doors and said, how can we pray for you? And you know what we did? We met Wiccans 
and atheists and people who practice voodoo. We had doors slammed in our face. We experienced that right here. Your neighbors. Welcome to temple. This is the reality. We think we think that this place is so Christian. It's not. You can go to Portland or you can go to Eugene, Oregon, and it's more reached than Temple. You think, why? Why, is, why are you saying that? Well, go look it up for yourself, Barna.com. It's on the front page. 100 most post-Christian cities in America, 2019. I think the reason is people here are just over it. They went to BBS as kids. Their grandma dragged them. They've been to the church services. They've been to the big youth group. They've, they've, they've seen the lights and they've seen the smoke. And, and they've been to the mega churches. And they've been to the small traditional churches. And they've been to everything in between. And at the end of the day, the thought is, yeah, yeah, I've been there. Yeah, I've tried the Jesus thing. I, I tried the church thing. Didn't really help. Didn't, didn't really make a difference. And so I'm done with that. And we live in a place where people are tired and they're burned out on church. And I'm not out to disparage or cast stones, but... But what we are led by the Spirit of God is to plant a different kind of church where you will experience something real. Can I promise you a huge multi-million dollar building one day? God, I hope not. I hope not. I don't want to spend tens of millions of dollars in a building. Not that that's evil or wrong, but that's not our vision Let's use that to reach the unreached and plant more churches. Do, do we promise that we're going to have a youth group of 200 kids in a very impressive youth building? I don't know. But I'll take whoever God gives us, and we will pour into your students and your, your children and show them how to follow Jesus in community with the faith family where there isn't a silo ministry of youth or kids that are independent from the actual faith family. We want to follow Jesus together. And if you have more questions of what this might look like, well, come next week. We have a class called New Start. We're talking about a church vision and direction, what we do and how we do it and where we're headed and how you can be part of what God is doing through Renew Church. And so next Sunday, 4 o'clock, you can just go to the website and sign up. And then and we'll talk and see if God's going to be a part of what we're doing here with this faith family. And so we're not going to be a church that's going to be so focused on maintaining our tradition or maintaining a certain status quo. We just want to follow the Spirit and reach people and spread His renewal here and across the planet for the praise of the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who alone is worthy of our adoration. And so I know, I look around, and I see now on black and white with research saying, people here are just done with God. But you know what? God's not done with them. 
He's not done. He's still at work in pushing back the darkness. He is still at work in bringing the dead back to life. He's still at work in healing marriages and breaking the bonds of slavery to pornography and to other addictions. He's still at work in healing. He's still at work in bringing those that are depressed or real with anxiety back to health and wholeness. And so I truly believe that God is at work. And my prayer is, why not Renewal Church? Why not here? Why not us? Why not? He can use us if we will let him. If we will yield to him and to his purpose and his identity that he has for us, we can be used powerfully for the praise of his name. We are missionaries. And the context for this is community. No one does this alone. You cannot do this alone. We do it together, which is why we have home groups. A home group at Renewal Church is about 8 to 12 people that gather weekly, study the word, love each other. And we believe that if we love each other and meet needs and be real with each other, then what's going to happen with those that are burned and done, they will see there is something different about this church. And they'll come and they'll experience life and renewal. And so we have missional communities called home groups. So if you want to be unleashed to be loved and mobilized to be on mission, then you want to join a home group. Because that's what we're about, is loving each other well. And as Jesus said, the world will know that the Father sent me when you love one another. And so when we truly love each other, the world can't deny the truth of who Jesus is. And so if you are just kind of visiting, coming on Sundays, but you haven't joined the home group, man, you're missing out. Like that is the backbone. That's the spine of Renewal Church is having community. God blesses his people so that we can then spread his blessing to the nation. By the grace of God, he has given us this identity and purpose. So the question isn't, are you a missionary? Because if you're a believer, you are a missionary. The question is, are you living out your identity 